So this week we are going to cover questions numbers 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, and 27. And it doesn't take long to see that they all fit together. And it's really fun. It's really fun how they do and how they do fit together and how they work. But first, we got to go back in time. We got to go way back. There's a, um, a cemetery near our friend's house in Shreveport that's a Jewish cemetery. And it's all fenced in. You can't get up to it, but you can look in and you can see on the tombstones. And you know how it gives the years that people were born, right, and died? Mm-mm. It's a Jewish cemetery. And so it'll say they were born in like 4,089 and died in 4,128. Because they don't count their dates from Christ. They count their dates from Adam. Which is pretty awesome. Like, when you're looking at that, you're like, whoa, this is like... <laughs> they their calendar is on a whole different level. Like you want to get into the whole evolution uh, creation debate, they're like, never mind. The current year is four thousand one hundred. You know, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's in the four thousands. So God created Adam and Eve, and He created them, and they were good. You guys, like God was so happy with what He made. The the closest he got to being unhappy is when before Eve was born, God said, this is not good that that this guy is alone. We, We need to make somebody to be with him. And he didn't even say that was bad. He just said it was not good. And so he created Eve and all of this is uh, talked about in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is a wonderful, wonderful place. We're, we're um, having some of our porch redone. Actually, the whole porch redone. And so we're, we're paying attention to all these, every porch we drive by. And we're looking at it. We're like, oh, look how they did that porch. Oh, look how they did that. And some porches we see and we're like, oh, they need to clean up their yard. Like, wow. And other times we see, oh, look at how they got that little. And they got that little chair there and they got that little bush and we're seeing so we're paying it as we're driving around we're paying attention to these things more than we should probably this little scene in eden is just beautiful there's all of these trees and they are just perfect and they are they're bearing fruit you don't have to worry about pruning them you don't have blight you don't have to spray powder on them and then hope that you wash the powder off the fruit and it's just beautiful A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. 
The name of the first is the Pishon, the name of the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And of the gold of that land is good, and bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Oh, this is just so perfect, you guys. Like, imagine a river without smokestacks on the edge of it. Imagine a river without any uh, big gulp styrofoam cup floating. I mean, it's just beauty. Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You can eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So he's put into this beautiful place. Even work is invented before the fall. Uh, He's given something to do. He's given a task. Adam is told, take care of this. Eat of it. Work it. Keep it. How he did that, we don't know, but he he worked and he was given a task to do. And it's just beautiful and it's perfect. And God is right there with Adam. It says later that God would come and visit with Adam every day when it got cool. So that kind of implies Adam's working during the time when it's hot. Adam's working. There's a time of day when Adam works and there's a time of day where Adam quits working and God visits with him and they meet. But if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And we all know what happened. They ate of that tree. The tree wasn't evil. The tree wasn't bad. But the act of doing something that God said not to do is what was bad. That is the bad thing. And so that brings us to question 21. What sort of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? See, we got away from God when Adam ate that... at eight from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When evil happened, when somebody did something in that perfect environment, in that perfect world, he went against God's will and he rebelled. That took us all away from God. So what kind of redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? One who is truly human and also truly God. Whoa. I have a ton of scripture to read today, you guys. So, what? there you go. Disclaimer. Not a disclaimer, just a proclamation, I guess. Hebrews 9. Uh, this is a good one to remember. Hebrews 9.1.1. Right? If you have an emergency with God, and there is a problem with God, and you have a life or death thing, you can remember Hebrews 9. Verse 11, Hebrews 9.1.1, right? When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, 
than through the greater and more perfect tent. Tent? Not tent, right? Dwelling place. Thing that God would dwell in. It was a tent when he was around Moses. It was a man, Jesus Christ, when he came. A more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. If the blood of goats and bulls, the sprinkling of defiled purses with ashes, if any of that could sanctify the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. He will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. It goes on. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. What did God say would happen if you ate from that tree? You will die. God said, it was the very first thing. When we don't know specifically what he told Adam, work this. You have no training. You have no idea what a tree is. And yes, as a matter of fact, you were born yesterday. Take care of this garden. We don't know what he told him. But he did say explicitly, if you eat from this tree, you will die. A death will be required. And so when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, it says that God killed some sheep and made clothes for them. Gave them animal skins to wear so that when they got kicked out of the garden, they wouldn't just die of exposure. Pretty awful. So Jesus suffered the death that God assured would happen as a result of eating from that tree. Question 22. Why must the Redeemer be truly human? Why can't like an angel come or a spirit or God in spirit come and, and be a sacrifice somehow? So that in human nature he might on our behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the full punishment for human sin. So one time I worked at the rescue mission. And I was walking around the building and I was talking to guys, talking to everything. And I went to the laundry room. And the laundry room was terrible. It was awful. There was just... Yeah, I won't tell you the whole story. It was not good. No, it was bad. <laughs> we can, it's after the fall. We can say this. It was bad. And, um, and I knew that the way things worked around there, that the guy that was in charge of the laundry room would get kicked out and put out on the street because the room was such a mess. And so I said, hey, I want to help you with this laundry room. Um, can you clean it up some and then... I'm going to go home and I'm off work, spend my evening with my wife and kids, and then I'm going to come back when they all go to bed and I'm going to clean up in here, but can you get started stuff? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he didn't do anything. Um, that night, unknown to me, the Chick-fil-A 
out on the east side got new, all new furniture. And to get all new furniture, they had to get all the old furniture out and all the new furniture in all in one night so they could open it for breakfast and be all, yeah. So somehow somebody worked out a deal and these people worked out a deal and these people worked out a deal. The half the building was cleared out of homeless men and they were all at Chick-fil-A doing manual labor, picking up benches and moving them out of the building all through the middle of the night to switch out the new seats. I didn't know that. I just thought it was really quiet. So I got there after my kids and wife went to bed and I start working in the laundry room. And I'm cleaning and I'm scrubbing and I'm just doing loads and loads of laundry that have been sitting over here in the corner since 1972. And I found Papa reveals this. Oh, no. Cleaned up this whole place. Got it all like, yes, all right, we're jamming. This is good. This is a good starting point now. We can, we don't have, this guy's not going to get kicked out, but we're definitely not going to have him work in the laundry anymore. And we're going to get some new people and they're going to start with a clean slate. And I look up and there at the door are all the guys in my program gawking in the door at me. It's like 12.30 at night, 12.30 in the morning, and they're all. And this one guy, he goes, now you can be our pastor. And they all laughed. Ah! And then they all went off on to bed because they were exhausted from moving. They, see, I was already their pastor. I had been their pastor for weeks, right? I got hired. I got instated. I had a paycheck. I had a W-2. I had the whole thing. But when they saw me up to my ankles in their nasty Pappy Reveals laundry, they knew that I was identifying with them. And somehow they respected me that I would do all that cleanup instead of kicking people out because that was all a broken system anyway. So it wasn't that I had to do that to become their pastor, but in doing that, I showed them that I was their pastor. And then they knew. And then, man, they kept that laundry room so clean. They never trashed it. They never left stuff in the corner for forever. And they kept it clean from then on. And then they made comments about, well, last night I was working in the laundry, and you know how that is, and blah, 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 and they would go on, and they would talk to me because they knew I could relate. Our Redeemer did not become human so that he could learn what it was like to be human. He already knows. He knows everything. But when our Redeemer became human, all of a sudden we're able to look at Him and be like, man, He knows. He knows what it's like for me to feel like this. And you look through the Gospels, what did Jesus not experience? Good grief. He was rejected. He was made fun of by His own family. He had family members die. He had close friends betray him. There were times where he poured out his soul to somebody so that they to find understanding and they were clueless and they didn't get it and they just thought about themselves. There were times that, that he was lonely 
There were times that he wanted to be, there were, there were women around to tempt him to be with them, and he didn't give in to that. He was tempted in every way that a human being can be tempted. And he never did what Adam did, which was do his own thing. He always stayed obedient to the Father. And so why must he be human? So that we can come to him and be like, Jesus, you know what this is like. You know what it is to be hungry. You know what it is to not get what you wanted. You know what it is to be disappointed. Jesus has never seen the internet, but he's been tempted by everything that the internet could ever tempt you with. Jesus has never heard rock and roll music, but he has in every way had some deep down conflict of of happiness or disinterest or angst or, you know, whatever. He's tempted in every way. Hebrews chapter 4, 14. Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. There's a a great book called The Celebration of Discipline, and it talks about confession. And it talks about when someone comes to you to confess their sin to you, how terrible it is to just say, oh yeah, I have that problem too. Who doesn't? Because that doesn't bring forgiveness. That just calls us all hopeless. But if someone comes to you and confesses their sin to you and you say, oh, I don't know how I can even talk to you anymore since you did that terrible, wretched thing. Get out of my house. That's terrible too. Because we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And some of us, when we act in the flesh, it is a lot more public than other people's. Some of it, it hurts a whole lot of other people. Some of times it just hurts ourselves. But it all put Jesus on the cross. And he paid for all of it. So we can come before him. It says, Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We do not have to come to Jesus with a, oh, you know, fear. Oh, I can't look at you in the face. He says, come on. I have invited you. Every high priest chosen from among men is point to act. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. The ignorant and the wayward. If you have ever felt like, oh, I just sinned because I'm just ignorant. Talking about my wild college days. What was I? I was ignorant and wayward. (laughs) To say it the way the ESV says it. Well, guess what? So is everybody else that we point our fingers at. That's doing stupid stuff. They're ignorant and wayward. And Jesus, our high priest, wants to hold their hand and help them come to the throne of grace.
All right, so why that answers the question, why does the Redeemer have to be human? But why does the, question 23, why must the Redeemer be truly God? Because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. I think that's a terrible answer. And I want to give a better one. <laughs> if I can be so bold. Nobody can forgive your sins done to you for you. So, if we're walking out and Levi just picks up a brick and just hauls it right through Rick's front windshield. (laughs) Rick's going to be like, what? I'm going to be like, what? (laughs) What would happen... What would happen if Mike says, Oh, Levi, it's cool. Rick forgives you. Go on. Have a good week. And Rick's going to be standing there like, I don't think so. How am I supposed to get home with a busted window? That's what I mean by somebody can't forgive sins done to you for you. Forgiveness has to come from the person that got sinned against. Right? Otherwise, it's not forgiveness. Otherwise, it's, I don't know, it's like codependence or enabling or messed up or corruption or, I mean, all different. It's just wrong, right? So when God said, Adam, here, come here, dude. I'm going to put you in this place of perfection. Work this land. Take care of these trees. But don't ever eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Who did Adam sin against? He didn't sin against any man. He sinned against God. When we commit a sin, here we go. When I'm tempted, oh, should I take this hubcap or should I not? When I steal the hubcap, I am fulfilling a spiritual need through a physical, fleshly way. I'm rebelling against God. I'm saying, God, you've provided for me. You've given me everything I need. But here's something that I want that I'm going to get not your way, but my own way. And so I sin. So if I steal a hubcap, I have sinned against the person that owned the hubcap that I should not have stolen from. But I've also sinned against God. Because God told me, don't steal hubcaps. I've provided for you everything that you need. I've I've given you everything. I've taken care of you. And so only God can forgive sin. Only God can forgive what I did against him. This is why when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, this made the Pharisees so angry. Because sin, okay, forgiving Uh, stealing the hubcap, you know, here's your 50 bucks for the hubcap I stole. I'm sorry I did that. Now I have made that right. But the sin of stealing, only God can forgive that. And so when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, it was like he was Mike saying to Levi, don't worry about Rick's windshield. Rick forgives you. Only Rick can forgive a broken windshield. And those Pharisees heard that and they said, only God can forgive sin. 
But this guy, Jesus, is standing in God's spot and saying, your sins are forgiven. And so that's why only God can forgive sins. Because they're against Him. Nobody else can forgive your sins done to you for you. So then we go to question 24. Why was it necessary for Christ? Okay, so we've established that Christ, many questions ago, we established that Christ is God and that He is man. That He is co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit in the Trinity. We established that He is the Redeemer. Now, why was it necessary for Christ the Redeemer to die? I mean, isn't that gruesome? Isn't that like antiquated and morbid and old-fashioned? Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and the penalty of sin and bring us back to God. I've used this example before, and I probably love it too much. But if I walk out on my front porch, and I just pick up a rock, and there's a random neighbor kid walking down the street, and I just throw this rock, and I just beam that kid right in the head, His mom's going to be mad at me. His dad might shoot me. It's going to be bad. But if nobody saw it, nobody knows, nothing happens, who's going to believe, who's going to believe the truth, right? I mean, why would a guy like me just throw a rock at a random kid? And that kid's not going to get any justice at all, right? Nothing's going to happen to me. That kid's going to go about his business. He won't even know what happened. He won't even believe that dude just stepped out, of, that old man just stepped out of his front porch and hit me with a rock in the head. What in the world? All right, so let's say the President of the United States comes to town. And everybody's got their signs and they're all picketing. And I get a rock and I walk up and I just throw a rock and I just beam him right in the head. None of you will ever see me again. <laughs> nice knowing you, Dan. It doesn't matter if he's a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian. I'm gone, right? Because the one that I assaulted, the, the, the trespass that I committed is not measured in what I did. I mean, when I threw the rock at the neighbor kid, beamed him on the head, I didn't really, it was an example. This is a great time for Anne to come back in, right? Dan, it's made up story. I did the same thing. I picked up a rock and I threw it. What's the problem here? Well, the problem is the one whom I sinned against. I sinned against some random neighbor kid that nobody knows, nobody's watching, nobody sees. I mean, it's terrible. I should get punished, right? But realistically, nothing's going to happen. Realistically, if I hit the president of the United States in the head with a rock doesn't matter who he is, I'm going to prison for a long time. Probably for the rest of my days. Doesn't even matter how big the rock is, right? So why was it necessary for Christ, our Redeemer, to die? Because the sins that we did were against a very holy, righteous, fabulous, powerful God. And all he said was, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm all you need in life and death. I provided everything for you. All he said to Adam was, take care of all these trees and don't eat from this one. 
Tiny, tiny. A lot of times we think our sins are tiny because we didn't hurt anybody. I mean, I, I mean who else? Who hasn't stolen a hubcap? I mean, it's no big deal. It's not like they don't have 50 million of them at the hubcap factory. That guy's a billionaire anyway. He won't even miss it. I use that. We were making jokes about stealing hubcaps last week after church. I use that as an example because I should not have to get explicit about sin, right? The Holy Spirit says in Romans, His kindness leads us to repentance. When I say we need to repent, we all know what we need to repent from. It's different for every one of us. It's a big deal. Sin put Jesus on the cross. Sin caused Jesus immeasurable suffering and pain from the crown of thorns to the whip in his back to the nails in his hands. It is awful. But he took it all. Since death is the punishment for sin, Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us, to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin to bring us back to God. We don't have to suffer because of sin, because Jesus did. So I pull out, drive my car. I look over here at this hubcap that I want to steal, and a car slams into the side of me. Boom. Well, I was sinning, and the car hit me. Is this God's judgment on me because I sinned, and now God brought this car to hit me? Not at all. Would I have been able to avoid that wreck if I wouldn't have been looking at that hubcap? Maybe. But the judgment of God came on Jesus on the cross. I don't, I don't have to walk in fear of, I might get struck by lightning. I don't have to walk in fear of God's going to punish me for this. Because God punished Jesus once and for all. Once and for all. Romans 4. 422, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake, for Abraham, but for us. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised from the dead for our justification. Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. No matter how I sin, I stand in grace. I can stand before God's throne boldly by grace. Question 25, I'm going to get ahead of myself, you guys, and I'm going to ruin it. Does Christ's death mean all of our sins can be forgiven? Yes, because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin. God will remember our sins no more. Christ's death on the cross was not a 50% off coupon. It was not a discount on heaven. That now all you have to do is... Get baptized, go to church every Sunday, have all the hymns memorized, always wear a tie when you preach. Right? No. 
Christ died on the cross for all of your sins. For every bit is 100%. It is a a 100% gift card. It is not, I get these things in the mail. A gift for you. And the company is celebrating their fourth anniversary of being open. A gift for you, 25% off. Like, that isn't a gift. That's a coupon. I still got to pay 75%. Christ's death on the cross is a 100% paid gift. All of your sins, all of your sins are forgiven. Question 26. This one's kind of funny. Okay, all of your sins are forgiven. Everything is paid for. What else does it redeem? <laughs> 26 is like, so what else do we get? <laughs> this is always, this is, yeah. Every part of fallen creation. Okay, so here's the deal. If God didn't want us to participate in salvation with him, then as soon as somebody got saved, you would disappear and go to heaven and you would be gone. And church would be weird. (laughs) Right? We'd be reading Romans and all of a sudden... And you'd have to have a preacher that was not a believer or you'd be filling the pulpit over and over again every Sunday. Okay. Christ saves us and he keeps us in the world to work out this salvation. What else does Christ's death redeem? It redeems all of creation. But we have to tell creation it's redeemed. We have to tell systems and cultures and, and families that it's all redeemed. In the, um, so on the website, if you go to the website, the New City Catechism, and they have these readings and they have recordings and they have songs, there's this super great quote for this day from a guy named Vermont Pierre. He says, the church today is an early outpost of this new creation and a primary means toward bringing about this new creation. So there's a new creation that's like Eden. It's beautiful. It's perfect. And the church is a part of bringing this about in our culture. This means that the church is not a passive bystander to the world. We are not helplessly watching the world go to hell in a handcart. We are instruments of God participating in salvation. Listen to this. Nor is the church an imperiled passenger in the world, only biding its time until it's rescued off the sinking creation. You watch the nightly news and it's terrible and it gives you all kinds of fear. Our response should not be, oh, we're helpless and hopeless Please, Lord, come save us. No, we are participants. If God wanted to just rescue off of the sinking boat, we'd all... And we'd be gone like that. He wants us to be participants in the kingdom of heaven right here. Instead, Vermon goes on. Instead, the church is a divinely commissioned community of people whose faithful efforts in the world even now matter as far as they proclaim and embody the redeeming and renewing power of the gospel. We are doing the good news, you guys. That's why we're here. We are God's instruments. You know, we we talked about offer yourselves as instruments of righteousness. We are God's instruments of righteousness in the world. 
When you're at, at a hopeless grocery store and uh, forget where I was. It seemed like everybody I saw, this was their expression. And I was like, gosh, I hate grocery shopping too. But I don't, this is not going to help me save on eggs, right? And I just got really joyful. And I was like, I want, I want to walk around. And I can't imagine what I looked like. I must have looked like an absolute fool. I was like, we are here and the Lord loves us. And we get to be at schnooks. No, we get to be a ruler, right? Yes. Just that little bit. There's all kinds of ways the Lord can work in you everywhere you go, everywhere you are present to, to usher in his kingdom, to bring it about, to move it, to move it along. Then the last one we'll talk about today, question 27. Are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? Answer, no. Only those who are elected by God and united to Christ by faith. So, so Adam is in this perfect garden and he sins and he rebels against God. And that sets off all of creation to be cursed. So when Jesus dies on the cross... How does that not be redemption to set off from then on everyone to be saved? And the difference is sort of in the setting. There's a lot of differences here. But when Adam did it, all of mankind was there. (laughs) Right? Everybody that existed from then on was there. When Adam sinned. When Jesus died on the cross, he was in Palestine, a Roman outpost, a Roman controlled colony, and there were people all over the world in the process of sinning and rebelling against God in all different ways. And so the news that Jesus did this has to get out. The news that Jesus did that has to spread out to people. And so, because it's not at the opening point of creation, it's creation already in progress in this little bitty pocket of the world in kind of a a big city, but not the biggest of cities. And that news has to spread. Romans 5 talks about this. The free gift is not like the trespass. If many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded for many? It's it's present for many, many people. Whoever would find out about it, whoever would hear. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What Paul is saying is, if death came to so many people and death reigned, I mean, just think about where you would be without God guiding you. Where you would be without without 
the Lord directing you with right and wrong and leading you by His Spirit and offering you grace, how selfish you would be, how self-centered you would be, how, how careless you would be. If that goes deep into our core, if sin is deep in our core before we are saved, how much more so is the Holy Spirit saving us Because the Holy Spirit replaces all of that and transforms us into new people. How much more? Now the law came in to increase the trespass, right? I didn't know what covetousness was until I heard there was a law about coveting. And now that's all I want to do. He talks about that. As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The more I seek after the Lord and the more I desire Him, the more I'm going to notice where I fall short. Man, I just, God is so holy. And God is like awesome. I, let me put more grace. Let me put more grace into that. You just realized you have another area where you need me. Awesome. Let me stuff it with my grace. And we live out our lives maturing and realizing I even need Jesus when I decide what kind of pizza to eat. I need Jesus when I decide, when I'm conflicted with this, when I feel this way, I need Jesus. And every time we feel that, God is like, yes, more. I get to fill another part of your life. And what is the result? Christ reigns in our lives, you guys. He reigns in every part of our lives. The more we acknowledge Him, the more He increases our grace, and the more He fills us up. So next week, we'll talk about how that plays out and what we do about it. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much. When You died on the cross for my sins, You died for a lot. And You died for every one of them. Lord, we praise you that you have completely taken away our sin so that we can always look to you. We can always follow you. We can always come before your throne boldly and watch and see your work in us. No matter the hardship, no matter the pain, no matter how confused we are, whatever. Lord, we praise you for your grace. And we just want more of it. Just show us how to fill more of our lives with your grace. Thank you, Lord. Amen.